fais plus d'une heure que je me fais d'une humeur. J'ai toujours été ondulée par-ci par la lune pas les bien installée des échelles. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, I'm so happy to be talking to Claire Massoud via phone. Um, Claire, welcome to Living Writers. Thanks, T. So much for having me. Oh, it's 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 great, great to talk with you. And um, we we let off the program with uh, Katy Perry's California uh, Girls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Because um, today we're talking about your latest novel, The Burning Girl, out with Norton. Um, could, could you, um, would you mind telling us like how California Girls sort of connects to The Burning Girl? Sure. Um, you know, it, it's, The Burning Girl is, is told by a girl named Julia, um, 
who when she tells the stories about she's 17 but she's looking back and she's talking about uh she's telling the story of her friendship with with her be- lifelong best friend Cassie and and the unraveling of that friendship over their teenage years and the first section of the book takes place the summer between 6th and 7th grade for the girls and it is the summer of 2010 and and one of the hit songs on the radio is California Girls so perfect it places it in time it place yes and the girls love that song right they do they do (laughs) um claire before we go any further um i'll read the bio in the back of the burning girl and um we'll go from there okay claire masood is a recipient of guggenheim and radcliffe fellowships and the strauss living award from the american academy of arts and letters author of five previous works of fiction, including her most recent novel, The Woman Upstairs. Claire lives in Cambridge, Massachusetts with her family. And also the best-selling author of The Emperor's Children as well. Um, lots of wonderful books in your, in your life so far, Claire. And I'm oh, sure- aren't you nice to say. <laughs> I'm sure many up your sleeve to come as well. <laughs> and, and as we mentioned at the top of the program, you're speaking to us via phone from a hotel in Philadelphia. Um, you, That's you're... right. I'm, I'm, tra- I'm traveling at the moment um, to give readings and talk about my book in a bunch of different places. And, um, and t- tonight it's Philadelphia, but, but I'm coming your way in, in a couple weeks. So a few weeks, I guess. So, so Monday, October 16th. That's right. It's a lunchtime event in, in Detroit. Um, and I, I don't have the exact address, but uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, it'll be great. And you're always, next time, maybe um, maybe we can wrangle it so that you swing by the University of Michigan, too. <laughs> I, I would love that. I, I, I gave a reading at the University of Michigan. It's now a long time ago, but um, the, there are so many wonderful writers in your creative writing department there and um uh, among them peter ho davis who oh, yes. who is such an amazing he's an amazing writer and an amazing guy he yeah. sure is friend of the show claire just as oh. you are <laughs> <laughs> um claire I, I wondered about um for the the book um could you give us uh, a short because you started when we were describing julia and cassie when you were describing them um at the the top of the program um would you mind telling a little bit more about the story itself, the book? Sure, sure. So the the novel is set um, pretty much, I mean, the telling of the story is pretty much contemporary, sort of now, looking back, I mean, the girls are 12 in 2010, so, um, the, and it takes place in, in Massachusetts in a, in a fictional town called Royston that is about an hour north of Boston near the New Hampshire border. And, um, and it it's not it's 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 an old fashioned um town that that is you know in, i don't know if you know that part of massachusetts but when you get to the coast some of the towns are are, are very prosperous they they were the the places where wealthy boston people had their summer homes yes um but but inland inland um was was more industrial. So Lowell, which is a town near the New Hampshire border, was a, a, a big textile town um, that that you know in the last hundred years sort of has fallen on harder times. And this this fictional village or small town is in between those two places, yes. <laughs> um, and and is sort of correspondingly in between in other ways too. And uh, and and Julia is 
is the daughter of a dentist and a freelance journalist who make their lives there, and her her upbringing is very is quite comfortable. Um, and her close friend Cassie's upbringing is is also comfortable enough, but a little bit harder. Um, and her mom is a hospice nurse. She's her mom's a single parent and is a hospice nurse. Um, and and when they're younger, the it, the differences the the sort of they they don't think about the differences between them. But when they hit their teenage years. Uh, they they start to go in different directions for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, Cassie Cassie sort of moving with a uh, a more popular crowd, and uh, and Julia is is sort of looking ahead already to to who she might be when she grows up. But then also uh, uh, Cassie's mother Bev uh, falls in love with a man who then comes to live with Cassie and Bev, and that and that really changes. Uh, Cassie's life quite a bit. Oh, it does. It does. <laughs> it does. Um, and and the book is about this 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 summer, um, and then this part of um, sixth to, to seventh grade, and and like you were saying, Claire, I love this idea of this in betweenness. That's middle school is is so much that, isn't it? This this time of roiling hormones and um, you you're yourself, but you're you're a child, you're finding the path forward, and this book seems to be such about y- girls growing up and having having to also face what some of that means, like for for being a girl, being a woman. Right, right. I mean, I, I think, you know, as I, 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 I've thought a good bit about it, you know, in, in recent years, the, the book was prompted in, in some part by having uh, adolescent children and and nieces and nephews and watching this younger generation go through all these experiences that are different from the experiences that I went through, uh, but emotionally aren't different. You know, the world has yes. changed in lots of ways, but the emotions are just as intense and just you know very very recognizable to me. And um, and and it is this process of yes, as you say, sort of figuring out who you are as a person. I think I think when you're when when we're kids, we we sort of take what's given and we we assume that our lives are normal. And if we don't understand, someday we will, or somebody does. And and um, we don't ask a lot of questions. And then and then in those teenage years, we sort of look up and look around us, and we see how society works or our community works. And 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 we you know find our we're trying to find a place in it that feels right. And, and there's also, as you say, all the hormones and and all that change. Uh, I remember a friend uh, who has a, a kids the same age as as mine, pointing out. She I, I don't know where she read this, but she said uh, there's as much change going on in in the human mind and body between the ages of sort of 11 and 15 as between birth and the age of four, right? Which wow. when you think when is 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 sort of an astronomical amount of change. It's it's just when you're a teenager you're aware of it you're, you right. can't control it but you're you, it's you know it's happening to you but 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 you're aware of it and it feels so um the self feels almost foreign even though it's you like right. in that awareness right and i think you know there there's there's so much that you can't control in that time you you're, you're you know our bodies grow at their at their own rate so so one of the things that you know this is about the friendship between two girls coming apart for all sorts of reasons but 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 one of them is 
the girls want different things. They're they're changing at different rates and in different ways. And and if you look at any sort of any seventh grade classroom, you'll see you'll see people who still look like they're in fourth grade, and you'll see people who look like they're in tenth grade. And you know that's because we we just grow at different rates and we change in different ways. And Claire, um, at the beginning, the beginning of the book, you you have an epigram epigraph by Elizabeth Bishop. Yes. From Casa Bianca. Mm-hmm. Um, loves the boy uh, stood on the burning deck. Uh, could could you why why this one? Why that why, one? Why Bishop. So so Elizabeth Bishop. That's a poem that I've um, that that uh, you know I must have first read it in high school and I and I love that poem and it's sort of traveled with me through life. But why why it's the epigraph to this book is because um, so. So the the Elizabeth Bishop poem is actually already a riff on a 19th century parlor poem written by a woman, actually. So, And by parlor poem, I mean that in the 19th century, um, people used to memorize poetry and sort of recite it at dinner oh. parties. And, um, you know, they, they didn't watch TV or, or you know, dance or whatever. They, they, they often just recited poetry or played the piano. And Can you imagine? <laughs> And they, by candlelight, right? Too. Right. So, um, but but the poem, the original poem, which you may have heard, is the begins. The boy stood on the burning deck whence all but he had fled, and um, and it and it's a very sort of sentimental and melodramatic poem based on a real event uh, about a, a a battle on the Nile, a British battle on the Nile, where. A, for some reason, the captain of, of of one of the warring ships had taken his son with him, and and the ship was in flames and going down. And the son kept asking his father, the captain, if he was allowed to abandon ship. But his father was dying, and so couldn't answer him. And and the boy did not want to uh, disobey his father, so he too uh, went down with the ship. That's the 19th century poem. Oh, um, yeah, oh. a little a little dark. Um, and um, and and the Elizabeth Bishop poem. It is is uh, is actually about a, a someone a child reciting that poem, so it's it's both about it's both the poem um, loves the burning boy, which is to say the burning boy who was on the deck and, and wouldn't leave his father uh, in the original poem, uh, but it's also loves the burning boy who's standing up trying to recite this poem and and stammering and and failing to recite it properly, and and because for me. This book um, is about both of the girls, Julia and Cassie. It's about what happens to Cassie in her life, the things that she's going through, and it's about Julia telling the story. Julia, um, Julia is the person who's who's trying to make a story uh, that can be sort of contained or can try to trying to make some sense of the things that are going on with her friend. Um, so, so I, I liked about the Elizabeth Bishop poem that that it has this. Um, both, both the story and the metafiction, if you will. Yes. Thank you. We're going to take that was lovely, Claire. Thank you. And it it it's such a lens on the the novel, and that and both of the girls are burning, and there yes. is a ship that's going down, um, and metaphorically. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes. But, but we do have a we do have a real quarry in the novel. We also have a real asylum. Let's we'll take a short break and then we'll come back to talk more today with Claire Massoud, her novel The Burning Girl, out with with Norton. I'm T. Hetzel, you've got Living Writers, we've got Stephanie behind the glass, and we'll be back.
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. And today, Claire Massoud is joining us via phone from Philadelphia. Um, Claire's on the in the middle of the book tour right now. Um, right, Claire? <laughs> Still here. Uh, yes. I, Still standing. <laughs> I, well, I hope you're sitting down and, and somewhat relaxed. I hope you have something to drink there in Philly. And <laughs> I'm, I'm very comfortable. Thank you. Oh, and and I, we're looking forward to when you'll be coming through, coming our way um, for the Detroit lunch uh, Monday, October 16th. Um, Me and, too. Um, Claire, the... Um, so I also I noticed in in your acknowledgments we were at the before the break we were talking about um Elizabeth Bishop's epigraph at the the beginning of the novel and and I noticed that you also thank uh Louise Glick for her poem Midsummer um as an inspiration you you also mentioned that watching um your own children through adolescence going through that and and the and the extended family and um that was an inspiration as well um could could you talk a little bit about how midsummer factored into it sure i don't know if you're familiar with the poem i but it i you know i've re- i can't think of it right now and I was, since I was going to ask the question I could have read it no, mind you no. well I wish I had a copy in front of me I, I don't I don't have it just I'd read you a little bit just just um if I had it to hand but I don't it's um it's she's a very wonderful poet yes, and it's, it's, yes. it's it's a it's a poem that is narrated by um by a, a teenager um talking about uh, the summer in the summer at the quarry, and the way the kids um, and it's um, I, somebody said to me afterwards, I don't believe Louise ever grew up by a quarry. I think you know this is an entirely fictional narrative, but 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 it's about it's about. Well, does that make it less less worthy? What, no, what was not the comment? at all. Yeah, it right. Makes it, it, <laughs> it makes it a feat of, of of poetic imagination. Yes, because it's about it's about it's about the, the kids. It's it's hard to explain, but it's almost as though. The kids aren't individuated there. It's about the group and about the about the way um, about sort of sexuality uh, blossoming in in these sort of summer. You know, the kids gathering at the quarry in the summertime at night, and and you know some of them slipping off into the woods, and uh, and then and then that you go home again, and and you're still a kid in the daytime. You're still a kid, sort of on the on the steps of your house in the afternoon but then you know in the evenings they they um they slip into this other they go join each other and make form this sort of other entity this that that is that is entering some more adult world you know and and it's it's very um it's very evocative and it's very sensual so i can see all the connections to why this poem may have been something that was evocative for you for this the spirit within the burning girl yes and well what i realized was that i um that the poem you know there's that there's that wonderful uh thing that nabokov wrote about how a work of fiction or of poetry too is is about the reader and the writer climbing the mountain from from opposite sides to meet at the top. Mm-hmm. And there's this way in which when we are readers, we're bringing our own experiences and our own memories and our own imaginations to any text, which yes. is something that is 
of course, one of the very special things about literature as opposed to, say, film, where, you know, <laughs> it, it, it feeds us all the images. But when you're reading, you are, you are bringing the images. And, and I realized that reading the, that, that Gluck poem um, was very evocative for me, that it brought back uh, all sorts of, yeah, memories of my own youth. I, I, I didn't grow up near a quarry, but there were various times in my life as a teenager, particularly that I, that I was with, you know, I visiting people and they'd, you know, let's go along to the swimming hole, you know, and, 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 and that it's a very particular sort of, um, vibe, a very particular atmosphere. I can't perhaps quite describe it, but it's, it's, it, it's a, a place of in-betweenness, in-between childhood and adulthood. Yes, and it's so. It's this um, this dangerous time, almost this this hazy time, this yeah, one and, wondrous and time, ex- exhilarating, titillating. Yeah. You know, this yes. sense of of slightly dangerous possibility and what might happen, and who who you know who's going to end up with who, or how's it going to you know how are things? I, I remember going to with my family to some friends of my parents summer cottage and there were a whole bunch of kids this is in Ontario and a whole bunch of kids and we all got together and there was this boy I had a crush on and you know we slipped away and and you know we we slipped away for an hour and of course then my parents were looking for me you know of course yeah, right of course yeah yeah oh the timing <laughs> <laughs> oh, how wonderful. Well, maybe that was somewhat inspirational for another character, Peter, in in, in the novel. Well, you know, not directly. I, I have to say, I, I don't think I ever saw that young man again, so I... Um... Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> um, Fair enough. <laughs> but, 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 I th- but certainly Peter is, is the... It, it isn't... I don't know if you'd say it's a triangle, but... Uh, I guess it is. But, I mean, Julia, the narrator, has long had a crush on Peter, but but Peter falls for Cassie, and um, and then and then eventually, you know, Cassie uh, and Peter break up, and and Julia and Peter become friends, and uh, in some ways, they're they're the the people who who love her the most, mm. um, or who are trying who are trying, whether for good or ill or misguidedly or whatever, they're trying to. Uh, I guess keep her safe. You'd say. Yes, yes, and and this this what you can know and not know about anyone else, even if you love them, um, whether you're a friend or or like in like in this case for Cassie also, or and for well and how you'd so deftly show it for parents and their children um whether it's during this especially um uh time of astronomical change for as they grow but just each of us as we walk around um on the planet what we can know of others what we can imagine for them is is limited it's it's one of my it's one of my abiding obsessions i i i um I, I guess I uh, the the uncertainty of the uncertainty of everything. You know, I think even yes. with even with the people we love the best and know think we know so well um, and do know well. You know, you can know somebody physically and their and their gestures and their voice and and their their habits and their handwriting and their you know the way they walk or the way they sit. Everything can be as familiar as, in an almost unthinking animal way. And yet you don't know what's, what they're thinking or what's in their heart or what they say when you're not there or what they do when you're not there. And, 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 and we do try to, 
um, one of the things we use stories for is to pin pin things down and make them less messy to to make to make order and 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 to give ourselves the illusion that we understand but one of the things i wanted with this book was was to try to um to to write about the ways in which we're we're always we're always uh sort of we're always spinning webs between between two factual points you know we 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 don't there's you know in physics when they when they're studying uh, quarks and things, the tiniest particles, they move so fast that you can't actually detect them. But you can only detect where they've where they've been, or you can only measure in certain points. And then you project from that the the space in between. You project the, the what the trajectory has been in between the two points. And we do that in life. Yes, but we can't as we go through it day to day. You, it's almost you can't you can have such you can't be aware of that really. <laughs> Right, for all sorts of reasons. <laughs> but it's good to try to approach it or acknowledge it at some point, uh, as you yeah. are now. <laughs> well, I, I, I do think I think that one of the one of the things I, I remember there was a quote from John Lennon that I can't really um, I can't really just get I can't reiterate for you, but it was basically saying you know sometimes we just don't know, and that has to be okay. And and I think yes. when I, I remember when I first read it, and I thought it's so not okay. <laughs> and and I think uncertainty is such an uncomfortable place for most of us to be. We 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 want to know things. Yes, and uncertainty as a writer does that drive some of your story making your yes, your writing and I, and I thought you were, I thought you were going to say does that drive your readers mad I think <laughs> I, well because I think it does drive some readers mad you know I think people one of the reasons that people often read fiction I had somebody say to me you know I read novels because uh, the outlines of characters are so much clearer in novels than they are in real life and and when I read a novel someone will tell me this man is this way. These are the things about this man. He has a bad temper, and he snores, and he, you know, eats toast for breakfast, and and <laughs> right. and he's this way. And 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 the person was saying, I really love that about reading fiction. And I thought, well, but that's untrue. Right. 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 So, so if when you're writing fiction, what you're what you're trying to do is record, or or reflect, or illuminate what our experiences really are, then then. I mean, I, I actually think of it as as um, as a as a almost the inverse of of a modernist. Um, you know, if, if modernism is about interiority, I mean, this is about interiority too. But it's also acknowledging um, acknowledging the effects of our of of what it is to be trapped in our inter- in our subjectivities. Uh, you know, what what that looks like from outside, which is which is to say, um, seeing as all we know is what we is what we project or what we experience, some combination of the two, um, then from the outside we have to acknowledge the gaps. I don't know if that makes any sense. It does. Um, and it's got me thinking. Um, it, it reminds me of a moment also in the book towards the end when Julia is with her mother and I think her her mother is is in the scene, having to insu- having being faced with like 
that that gap, the awareness of this gap between her and her daughter, um, and and the great, actually, this moment of really growing up. There's Julia has many of them <laughs> throughout the novel, um, but this moment where she sort of takes her mother in her arms um, to say that it's okay in a way that's just actually not true like what you were just saying Claire is she's reassuring her um, because it's what she feels her mother needs in the moment maybe I should page to it I know I'm talking abstractly um, no but I know I know which moment you're referring to I, I, I don't know if I can it's 238 it right away but it, but yeah. but it but it is you know it's that's what when kids are small that's what parents do for kids is is say it's going to be okay even even in the even in the direst moments that's that's a, the job of a, a parent is yes. to reassure a kid and say it's going to be okay. And, and, and I remember the sadness I felt when, when my uh, children just got old enough. I don't know if it was four or five to realize that that when I said I'm going to kiss it and make it better, oh, yeah. it it didn't work. You know, because I think for a long time little kids really believe that works. Right. You, you kiss it and it makes it better. And um and then they realize no, that's just a saying and it's. It's all hollow talk, <laughs> but 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 the, the the this it's the first moment. It's the end of the book. Is the first moment when Julia reassures her mother in the way her mother has always reassured her, and and with the understanding that Julia has the understanding that yeah that it may not be so. And I've found the page, Claire. It's page two two thirty eight. Um, uh, let's see, and still somewhere inside her, and that she feared now maybe for the first time that she didn't know me at all. And then um, skipping some lines down, um, don't be silly, mom. And then there's nothing to be afraid of. So many times my mother had said these words to me, had made this gesture of love and reassurance. But this was the first time I did it for her. And the first time too, that I understood these words might not be true. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I think, I think the, that is that is the process of growing up, you know. That's a sort of, uh, 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 in a way, a, a happier side of that process than 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 the version which I think we're all we're all familiar with, which is the moment when you you know, which is often. I mean, it can happen in childhood, but certainly is happening to most in adolescence of realizing your parents are fallible. You know, mm. they aren't uh, they aren't sort of brilliant and successful and funny and great and actually, you know, they're kind of embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> and say dumb things and show up at the wrong time and, you know, are just just basically to be hidden away in the closet if you possibly can. Right. Yeah, showing up at the wrong time, especially like that moment in Ontario, right? Right. <laughs> um, Claire, Claire, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, would you mind reading um, from The Burning Girl? Um, sure, for us? it will be a pleasure. Okay, we'll take a short break and we'll return today on Living Writers. Claire Massoud joins us from oh, via phone um, from Philadelphia, her novel, The Burning Girl. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back. They say everything 
Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, so glad you did. Today on the program, Claire Massoud joins us from Philadelphia via phone. Um, her novel, The Burning Girl, out with Norton, now hot off the press. <laughs> um, so, so Claire, this this is a novel about friendship. Yes. And 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 the stories we tell and memory, um, and and telling the story of. A friendship. Yes, and 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 the the fact that its course doesn't always run smooth. Um, that that friendships are hard too. Um, so I, uh, it it it's funny, you know. I I um, the, the, I was I I've been thinking because a, a lot of the um, reviewers and not not a lot, but a number of them have have referred to Elena Ferrante's novels. I don't know if you've read right. those. Right. What do you think about like the the first one being My Brilliant Friend? So Right, which which is about the childhood I mean the 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 span of the, all the novels is is the entire lifetime of uh, lifetimes of these two women and their friendship over and what happens to them in their lives. But the first volume is really about their their childhood and adolescence and um and and I you know I I love I love my brilliant friend I think it's a, a, a wonderful novel, um, but but I was struck that um, that people say oh look you know the the burning girl is 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 you know these is, is sort of similar and and because just because it's about two friends because I actually feel like they're they're very you know the books are different in so many ways yes. not just yeah. not just the time where it's set or the place or um you know it's not naples it's new england um <laughs> it's not 1950 it's you know 2010 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are all these ways in which it's different and 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 but people um people want to compare them and and it, it's made me um aware that 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 maybe it's because this, the the subject matter, or the idea of, of sort of paying attention to that subject yes. matter, is pretty uncommon. I I did in in one of my sort of snippier moments. I said, <laughs> I, I I said to my husband, I said, would you compare um, Philip Roth's Sabbath Theater and Katia's Disgrace because they're both books about dirty old men? <laughs> and I was like, no, but we're so used to books about dirty old men. Oh, but you were so used to them. <laughs> We we don't even pat an eye. We're like we don't even we don't even realize that you know the the Venn diagram has them overlapping in that in that particular way, you know. Right, right. And so, so, so that means I think we need some more of these excellent novels yes, like yours well, and Ferrante's to be. And, and, yeah. And I've had the strange I had the strange experience because about a year ago. Um, right now, when I had finished my novel and it, you know, was with my editor, and um, and and then I was sent uh, Zadie Smith's 
Swing Time to review. Oh, I haven't and read it, that yet. Well, there are lots of things going on in Swing Time. It's a wonderful novel with, with, with many, many events, elements, characters, ideas. But the first part of it, and it's a thread that runs the whole way through, it's a sort of central thread, is about these childhood friends, um, two girls, childhood friends in North London, and, and how their lives diverge as they grow up. And as I was reading it, and writing this, uh, you know, I, I almost wanted to write in the review, I myself have just finished the novel, <laughs> because I thought otherwise people are going to say, you know, uh, that, I, that I just copied it, which, you know, which I didn't. But, but, but maybe there's something in the air right now that, it's, that, that, that the topic is, is, is interesting, peop- you know, writers, and maybe there will be more stories. Let's hope. Let's hope so, Claire, because uh, there's other things in the air as well right now. And so we need stories like this to, I think, um, to counteract and to deepen people's imagination of what the other is, even if it's the other gender or whatever the case may be. I know. Well, that that, that sense that um, fiction can illuminate so much that isn't within our own experience and yes. and and it does seem it does seem i i worry that um i'm this is i'm digressing i'm off on a no, but okay. but i i i worry that that we become as, as a society more and more utilitarian so we only want to do something where the benefit is clear and measurable and and the point of art is that it isn't measurable right yes. that that yes. that it is that it's a sort of um, surfeit that brings many things, but but you can't necessarily measure them. But people don't make time. You know, my sister, for example, who's a lawyer, and she always, all her life has read, and then in the last sort of two or three years, she, she says, I don't have time to read novels anymore. Oh. And I said, I said to her, almost like prescribing medicine, I was like, no, no, no. You, you have to. You have to read novels, because because they change the whole way we live in the world, as we, as we can see when we look at politicians who do not read. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. And I think, and the immeasurable is mysterious, right? And, and yes. it's the unknown, again, which is getting us the not knowing to that uncertainty where you have to feel, you have to feel discomfort in order to open or to grow. Yes. Yes, I'm with you. I, and I, I, I actually, I mean, I, I, I hope that, I, I, you know, I hope that that maybe I've heard from from independent some independent booksellers that that actually, um, contrary to what you might fear, you know, people really are reading in mm-hmm. in this time, um, and that's a sign of hope. I think. Yes, yes, and and for you, was it also writing in the like writing in the voice of of a a young narrator? Um, was that hopeful? Was that what was that like to um, embody that that voice, Claire? Well, you know, it, for me, it was, each project has has challenges. You know, you, every time you sit down to write a book, it poses a whole new set of challenges. And <laughs> and and I felt that for me, in in trying to write this book, in writing this book, one of the challenges was to um, to 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 give up a lot of uh, a lot of. I, 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 I would say even my pleasures. You know that that is it. Flannery O'Connor, kill all your little pretty oh, yes. darlings. I mean, I feel like it really. What I do, I love a ten cent word. I love a, <laughs> I love a, I love a, a, a long sentence. I love you know. I, I, I those are, those are real pleasures for me. Um, and and I I I did sort of put myself on a on a diet. Um, 
because I was I was and and it, but I was also you know it isn't a transcript of a of a of a teenage kids talking it's actually a work of art so I was I, I was trying to sort of toe a, you know walk a line um, be, between between realism and something else something sort of more fable like yes. um, and and so that it was it was sometimes exhilarating and sometimes quite frustrating and sometimes I would tear up entire sections and I, I went over and over and over again you know and and it's funny because I feel like some 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 people it's it's a little bit like Goldilocks and the and the three bears some people say um, she's too articulate some people say <laughs> it's, it's too you know it's just teenage stuff it's too banal and then you know and then for some people they say you know I can go with this so. Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like Goldilocks. I've never yeah. thought of that before. Oh, I'm not okay. Well, Claire, would you mind? Could you read for us? So sure, it, happily hear the so, prose. So I thought to read. Um, it's it's just right from the beginning. It's not from the very beginning. It's just from from a couple of pages in. And it's Julia speaking. It's a different story depending on where you start. Who's good? Who's bad? What it all means. Each of us shapes our stories so they make sense of who we think we are. I can begin when Cassie and I were best friends, or I can begin when we weren't anymore, or I can begin at the dark end and tell it all backward. There's no beginning before, though. Cassie and I met at nursery school, and I can't remember a time when I didn't know her, when I didn't pick her sleek white head out of a crowd and know exactly where she was in a room and think of her some ways as mine. Cassie was tiny with bones like a bird. She was always the smallest girl in the class, and the span of her ankle was the span of my wrist. She had shiny, white, blonde hair, almost albino she was so fair, her skin translucent and a little pink. But you'd be wrong to mistake her size and pallor for frailty. All you had to do was to look into her eyes, still blue eyes that turned gray in dark weather like the water in the quarry, and you could see that she was tough. Strong, I guess, is a better word, although, of course, in the end, she wasn't strong enough. But even when we were small, she had a quality about her, a what-the-hell-and-I'm-not-chicken-or-you sort of way. According to my mother and to Cassie's mother, Bev, Cassie and I became friends in the second week of nursery when we were four years old. That was always the story, though I can't tell now whether I remember it or have just been told so many times that I invented the memory. I was playing with a group of kids in the sandbox, and Cassie stood in the middle of the playground, hands at her sides like a zombie, staring at everything, not apparently nervous, but totally detached. I left my friends to come touch her elbow, and I said, so I was told, hey, come build a castle with me. And she broke into that rare, broad smile of hers, a famous smile, made all the better when she was bigger by the Georgia Jagger gap between her front teeth. She came with me back to the sandbox. And that, my mother always said, was that. Thank you, Claire. Um, I'm so glad you you chose to read that section um, because it's it's so it's really getting to the heart because one of the threads of the burning girl is the stories that we tell to try to make sense of our lives or who, of who we are and what we've been talking about so far on the program keeps keeps returning to that too um, like at the very beginning it's almost as if um, you're a, a writer um, writing about writing it's a different story depending on like, right. what you're talking even about maybe how you are thinking about shaping this story. Yes. Well, you know, it's, a, it, it, again, a sort of abiding preoccupation of mine about, about how, 
I mean, we, we this is this will seem like from left field, but some years ago, we uh, my family went and spent a year in Germany. My husband and I had fellowships, and we spent a year in Berlin, which was an amazing time. Ooh, lovely, but, yes. But 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 I remember thinking because it's such an extraordinary culture, just hist- you know historically, the literature, the philosophy, the music, the art, and and I thought, and I had avoided going there. Right from until we went for the when we got off the plane in Berlin, I had never set foot in Germany because I mm. I grew up with all sorts of the his, you know the history of um, it as well. Yes, yeah, all sorts of of thoughts about Germany that had to do with World War Two and the legacy of World War Two. Yes, and 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 I you know imagine if what I, I, imagine if what we knew first as kids about Germany was. Beethoven and Bach and uh, and I don't know amazing painting and Goethe instead of Hitler. But right. the fact is, what we know first is Hitler, and um, and and that can't ever. I mean, I don't know. Maybe in a thousand years that that, that won't be the case, but but that will be the case for a long time to come. Right. And our entire sense of 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 that history and that culture is shaped. By knowing that first, um, and 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 I think that about people when you've been told something about someone before you meet them, that will color whether it's good or bad. That will color always your understanding of 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 that person. And and I often think that about, you know, I'm a younger child, and I I look at um, our kids, my kids, and I and I see that for our younger child, it's easier because when he walks into a classroom, the teacher knows he's oh they liked his sister. <laughs> and he's the little brother, so they're well disposed towards him. Right. You know, but if you're the first kid, nobody knows anything about you. Right, right. And making so. your path, making your own path. But and yeah. in, in the story here, um, it's 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 lovely how in that way of um, Julia talking about her struggle to tell the story or her thoughtfulness about telling the story it works to convince you as a reader even if this is you know a very young narrator you are on her side and you're willing to believe her (laughs) oh well i'm glad i'm glad and i think you know i think most of us have some some version of that um of that self-consciousness in 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 telling stories in it about our own lives you know um, and, and then, of course, in this case, she goes on and she's telling stories about Cassie's life, about about times that she wasn't even there, and um, and and my hope and my hope in those sections was that the reader would alternately forget and be reminded that yes. Cassie was, you know, that Julia was sort of having to make things up that she couldn't possibly know everything. Well, Claire, it worked on me. <laughs> Oh, good. <laughs> we'll, we'll take a short break, and then we'll come. We'll come back for the last quarter of the show um, today on the program. Claire Massoud, her novel *The Burning Girl*, out with Norton. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back. with his 
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Um, Clara Massoud joins us via telephone um, from a hotel somewhere in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, Thank you so much for... Um, for taking the time today, Claire, and taking the chance also to talk for an hour over the phone with someone on the radio. Oh, no, uh, no, what a pleasure. What a pleasure it's been. Oh, yeah, it's great. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for doing it. And um, and we still have some time. So so you're not off the hot seat yet. <laughs> um, so maybe we can return back to the, the section um, that, that you read to us before the break. Um, because there were so many, um, so many elements at work within this small section that I feel like, um, just like send out tentacles into the whole, whole novel. Um, and is that perhaps maybe why you chose to read this short section? Um, well, that's, that's, that's part of it. <laughs> and then also it's because it doesn't need any explaining because it's right at the beginning. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. It, but it, but it is, you know, it does, it does, um, we were talking earlier about that Elizabeth Bishop poem and how it has, you know, how, how it's both the sort of story of the burning boy and about another boy telling the story. Um, and, and I think, you know, for me, at least in this little section, it, it both, uh, it both tells a little story about how the girls met, and then and then is also uh, setting up the fact that that, as we were saying before, Julia um, Julia's uncertain, and I mean she doesn't even know as we as we don't, you know. I, I, I it wasn't until a few years ago that that I understood that I guess neurologically every time. Every, every time you take out a memory and remember it, to sort of take it out of its its box inside your head you rewrite it so that over time memories can get changed um and and you can you know they can you can have memories implanted by somebody telling you you did something over and over again you can come to have a, a an actual memory in your head of something that you never did even your um, actions within it right yes, like you're as if you're on a, a film of it yes exactly exactly it's it's i mean all of that neurological uh, knowledge is so fascinating, and uh, and so Julia doesn't really know whether she she has in her head a very vivid memory of of how Cassie was standing and you know what she said to Cassie, but but she doesn't really know whether that's what happened or or just it it was a story that her her mother and Cassie's mother told so many times that she came you know she made up the memory in her head, and and so so and she acknowledges that in this section. Which is so, um, again, it's like this, this, this narrator, even though Julia, even though she has so many questions, um, you feel that you, you, you care so much about her, I guess, as you're seeing her thought process um, on the pages. She's struggling to tell this story as she knows it or may have invented, you know, yes. Um, I, and I love how there's like these moments, um, so where it's acknowledged there, I invented the memory. And then there's like the word choice where you have, um, like describing Cassie, her hands at her sides, like a zombie. Cause then that feels like very much like a, a kid word too, like something that would bring us to like a kid would say that about another kid. Um, oh, I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, that's why I chose it. I, you know, there's a thing about the gap in her teeth, and of course, I, um, I, I first, 
I first being me in the first draft, it was the Mick Jagger gap between her teeth, and um, and you know Mick Jagger means something to me, but um, wouldn't wouldn't to <laughs> wouldn't to Julia. No, right. <laughs> but 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 luckily Mick has a daughter yes, who has the gap, and she inherited the gap. Okay, that's what yes. I figured. I didn't yes, know hundred percent. And and I don't know if she's still big, but at that time, sort of, you know, it, around two thousand ten, eleven, she just started modeling, and she was in all the magazines. And um, I, you know, that's so. So it was not it was not an inappropriate reference. I have no idea whether she's still modeling, but I do I do remember. Um, she sort of burst on the scene. She was probably 17 or something then, and she was the it girl for a time with, with that with that famous gap. And so with that use of the detail, too, it's another way of, of placing us in time. And and later you say that they get the magazine Tiger Beat. And so it's, it's, it's these moments that um, we, we, can, we can go back, telegraph back to 2010. Right. Um, you know, it, it's funny because, because, of course, my... Um, my editor was like, Tiger Beat, I don't know. I don't know. And I said, well, actually, as a mother of a kid who, who's a year younger than, um, than Julia and Cassie, I do know. Because, <laughs> because at that time, a friend of my daughter's had a, had a subscription to Tiger Beat that her, her mother had arranged for her because it had meant so much to her mother when she was young. <laughs> and, and so, you know, the, Livia, Livia poured over Tiger Beat, my daughter, you know, in, in, at about that time, in about 2010. So, so even though, even though people, um, my editor was like, mm, I don't know, that seems kind of retro. I don't know if girls were looking at magazines. And t- I was like, mm-hmm, yes, I know, they yes. were. Conversations <laughs> you never think you're going to have with your editor, right? I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Claire, by the end, because we've been talking about story um, today, um, by the end, there's a shift in how um, Julia chooses to finish telling Cassie's story, which is also her story. Um, and I wanted to ask you about that. There's in the describing of it, um, she, she moves to this idea, um, in the film of Cassie's life. Um, cause, cause this is something that she's looking ahead to her own future. Julia, I don't know. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I I think there 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 are I hope uh, perhaps a, a a number of possible ways to understand what she does there. So so Julia has decided um, by by the time you know a few years later when when the novel's told from that she um, wants to be an actress and uh, and that that in some way you know all the world's a stage. Um, <laughs> but that, you know, that, that, that that's her understanding of, of really what life is like, is that people are playing roles in different times. So there's, and, and, and I do think, you know, for me, just from an authorial sort of point of view, I, I, I think we, we live, one of the things about social media um, is, is that it enables people uh, to, to make up stories much more flamboyantly or, 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 Radically, if you will, than than once we could. You know, the the story used to be you come from the you know you grew up and you move from from wherever you grew up to to the big city, New York or Los Angeles or something, and you reinvent yourself, right? Um, but but now people invent themselves as they go along, and 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 it's almost as if uh, you know when I was young, people would say, imagine if like, do you ever imagine that like we're living in a movie? But it's like now people really. Think they are living in a movie in some complicated way, but um, 
Right. But at the, at the same time, um, there, there's there's a moment very early on in the novel when um, when Cassie's cat has disappeared. <gasps> Electra. Yeah, and Julia is, you know, thinks, well, what is it dead in the woods? Is it this? Was it run over by a car? And and Cassie says, well, if we have to imagine what happened, why imagine something bad? Right. You know, why not imagine something good? And and so um, part part of that um, decision by Julia is to is that by sort of lifting Ca- Cassie's fate above the ground if you will like putting it somehow into the into into film into sort of a fiction um she can imagine something good for her without without having any you know without asking herself is that plausible is that realistic once she lifts it into that other realm then then she can sort of in her mind then she can fully go with that um with that sort of positive image. And as you write, Claire, this is what it means to be a young woman. This is the true story, this beautiful vision. Claire, thank you so, so much for talking with me today. I've loved it. Oh, me too. Thanks to you so much. Oh, Claire, well, um, hope to talk to you again one day and and safe travels. And and if you can stay on the line, um, that would be lovely. Um, But I'll sign off. Thanks to everyone for listening to Living Writers today. Claire Massoud, her novel, The Burning Girl. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. Just like I love that lake, then it's